This is, this is Palm Sunday, if you didn't know, and um, this is kind of a bittersweet sweet morning for me because the sabbatical starts after Easter, which is next weekend. Next week we'll be at the high school, so I'm preaching in here this morning, and, and I won't be preaching in here for a while, and that, that's weird to me, that... I'm going to miss it. It is so incredible the things that God has done. And this Sunday is a big celebration. This is the beginning of the Holy Week. We, we talk that way and it's every year. And I think we need to remember what these things really mean. This is the Holy Week. This is... This is leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. This is big. And Palm Sunday, in particular, has been memorialized by the church because of the actions of the people in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem, as as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time. Let's read the passage. It's a familiar one. Think about and try to put yourself in this place. Matthew 21, 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him And that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is a a huge celebration. And We remember this story every year and the the people are throwing their their garments on the road, which actually is an ancient custom. This this was common. It wasn't like spontaneous. Hey, let's just throw our stuff on the road. This was an ancient custom symbolizing respect for the king and symbolizing their submission to his authority. And submission is something we don't like to hear, right? None of us like to go there very often. And yet, we're going to see that we submit to this, this glorious king. So they've, they've, they've got their coats and they're, they're, they're doing all this symbolism of, of respecting the king. And they also add to it the, the palm branches, which were symbolic of celebration, deliverance, and joy. And there's other places in Scripture where we see the palm branches being used. One of them is in Revelation 7. 
where palm branches will be part of the future celebration. Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, celebrating the joy of the King. Going back to Jerusalem, that crowd that's surrounding Jesus, they're, they're, they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. There's, there's two things there that, to remember. Hosanna is not translated. That's actually a Hebrew, Hebrew word. You're actually speaking Hebrew when you say Hosanna. It means save now, help now. So the, they're calling out to Jesus to help them. They're specifically saying the son of David. And, and in that culture, at that time, if you refer to the son of David, you're talking about the king. So there's a lot of pieces here that are right. The thrill of the moment was real. But the understanding of why Jesus was coming to Jerusalem was not real. The people wanted Jesus to use his supernatural powers to destroy the Roman army. Most everybody that was there had probably heard of Jesus. They, they, they understood that he was doing all kinds of miracles. As a matter of fact, he just came from a miracle. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So, so they understand he's got this miraculous power. And they wanted him to use it to destroy the Roman army. That's really where they were at. The other thing that's going on here is they were about to celebrate Passover. Passover, if you remember, is the commemorating of the Jews' deliverance from Egypt. Huge celebration. And so they thought that this would be the best time for Jesus to free them from Roman bondage. Makes sense. Passover, destroy Rome. Works for me. But the reality is that Jesus didn't come to destroy Rome. He didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin and death. And he came to make peace with God for people who believe in him. They missed that. Now, this group of people, this, this crowd and, and his disciples, everybody there, they, they were right to recognize that Jesus is king. They're also right in how they're phrasing that and how they're looking at him because they're, they're saying he's the Messiah. And they, they would have known much about the Messiah from the Old Testament. The people in their training in their Judaism would have understood a lot about the Messiah. Listen to this list of names that the Old Testament gives to the Messiah. So here's the Messiah. He's riding into Jerusalem. And in the mindset of the Jew at that time, they've got to be thinking through some of these names. Psalms 2.2, he is the anointed. Joshua 5.4, he, he is the captain. <clears throat> Haggai 2.7, he is the desire of nations. Isaiah 9.6, he is the father of eternity. Isaiah 28.16, he is the foundation. Isaiah 61, he is the glory of God. Isaiah 41, 14, he is the Holy One of Israel. 
Psalms 18, he is the horn of salvation. Micah 5.1, he is the judge. Isaiah 33.22, he is the lawgiver. Daniel 9, several places, he is the Messiah. Isaiah 9.6, he is the mighty God. Isaiah 60.16, he is the refiner. Jeremiah 23.6, he is the righteousness. Deuteronomy 32.15, he is the rock. Genesis 3.15, he is the seed of the woman. Ezekiel 34.23 and Psalms 23 describe him as the shepherd. All of those would have been familiar to the Jews that are there celebrating Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. They were right that Jesus was the Messiah. They got that right, the son of David. They were treating Jesus as a king, but they did not understand the nature of his kingdom. They did not understand how he would display his kingdom. Yes, he was king. But he was not riding into Jerusalem to be crowned king, which is what they really kind of wanted. He was riding into Jerusalem for one reason and one reason only, and that was to be crucified. There will be a time, there will be a time, and it'll be a future time, when Jesus will fully be understood as the king. The king. The only king. Think about what Paul says in Philippians 2, 9. 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a time when no one will stand before Jesus. Without bowing their knee. We see this celebration today as part of his first coming. When Jesus comes again, he will come with his sovereignty totally on display. It's going to be cool. Think about this description. This is from Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 14. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's going to be glorious. The King. 
the long-awaited Messiah. He, he came, right? He, he, he's, he's riding into Jerusalem, the long-awaited Messiah. He comes in this, this glorious strength, seen in weakness. The, the glory of, of, of the joy of the cross, because we, we know that the cross has got a, a joy for us because it saves us. And, and in the glory of that joy, there's excruciating pain. He comes on a donkey's colt to be what? To be the stone that the builders reject on Friday. And then he's the cornerstone that God will reveal on Sunday morning. We're celebrating a crucified king, a rejected Messiah. He was a stumbling block to the Jews. But for those who have received the gift of true spiritual sight, it is a marvelous sight in our eyes. We need to remember also God's in control here. Yeah, Jesus, this is all happening, and it, it's just amazing. Palm Sunday, all of those events. The following week, all of those events leading to the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection, all of those events are not human creations. They're not just a coincidence of history. This was all orchestrated by God. This is a divine event. God's plan and promise for the rescue of sinners. And here we, here we see it. This is God's plan. Only a king on a donkey could truly, truly save our souls. And here he is riding into Jerusalem, our Savior. So he's, he's being received by the people, at least initially, as king. Christ is king. It, it means several things, and, and we, need, we need to help one another with this because typically Americans don't like monarchs. We, we fought a big war over that, remember? You know? We like our freedom. We... we, we But Christ as king means he controls everything. And what we discover that will really help us in our life is that he controls who becomes a king and who doesn't. Daniel 2.21. Daniel speaking about King Jesus, the Messiah. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He has control. And he's so good. Je Jesus, even in his human, humanness, he, he's working with us as a human. And, and he, he agrees with this. How do, how do we know that? It's, it's from a very familiar passage, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And every time I look 
at Scripture and I dig into the words and I do all of the, the word studies that we do, all there means all. All. There isn't some other hidden authority somewhere. All authority has been given to him. So what does this mean in a practical way? This means that the Father appoints kings, and we could say presidents, through the Son. They're the ones doing it. Now, we have to also realize that 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 doesn't mean that every king or president is obedient to Christ. We can see that too. So how does that work out? Sometimes God ordains things that do not please him completely. Ordain, meaning he works with them. He allows them to happen. They become a part of his plan. King Jesus, our sovereign, King Jesus overrules the sinful acts of evil rulers and makes their sinful ways fit into his wise plan. He's got it all figured out. It's difficult for us because we see things in a very narrow scope. We only see things with the natural eye in our little teeny tiny length of life that we have. God sees it all. God sees every aspect. He knows every heart. He knows all that's going on ever. And he's got more wisdom and knowledge than anyone. So he can, he can do this. And he doesn't have to ask us for permission. He does it. The, the ways of Christ's rule are not simple. And, and it very often they, they can be difficult for us to fully understand because we're so finite in our thinking. However, Never lose sight that King Jesus is in control. Now, I, I know that he, he's not been, we don't see him as the king that's coming. But he's still king. We need to understand that. We need to grasp that he is king and he's in control. This means that this should help us when we, we look at the news. We, we need to not consume news the way non-Christians do. We need to listen and read with the understanding of Scripture. And that understanding of Scripture is that God is in control. Jesus, King Jesus is in control. Changes our perspective. Now, I want us to connect this whole idea of King Jesus and the times we live in to another familiar verse. We use it a lot. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is our sending out, right? We're to go out and evangelize. We're to, we're to go find people and tell them about Jesus. Well, here again, this is connected to this authority thing. Jesus has complete authority in heaven and on earth. We've, we've already seen that, right? So total authority is his. This means that he can gather, rescue, deliver, and, and take citizens from earthly kings and make them citizens of his kingdom. 
And he can do that anytime he wants. You with me? He can do this. He can bring people out of these kingdoms of darkness into his kingdom of light because of his death, burial, and his resurrection. And that he has been given all authority by the Father. All authority is his. He died. He paid the price. Everything's there. Everything's in place. So as believers, so I'm talking to the believers this morning, right? So so here we are. Believers then are ambassadors of the king. Every one of us, it doesn't matter who we are, how old we are, what we do for a living, it doesn't matter. We, as believers, are ambassadors of the king, the sovereign of the universe. As his ambassadors, our mission is to rescue people from anywhere. Anywhere, anytime. That's our mission. And it isn't that we get them saved. God does the work. He just wants us to be involved so we can go, wow, God is great and mighty. And look, another one has been saved so that they can glorify our Lord and Savior and our King. As as ambassadors, we rescue people so they can submit to the King. Now, that's probably not a real good evangelistic tool. Hey, brother, I want you to come to Christ so you'll submit to him. Probably not wise. But we as believers know that when we come to Christ, we want to bow before him. We want to submit ourselves to him. We want to be like him. We want our lives to glorify him. We want to submit everything we have for him. Why? Because he saved us from hell. Because he's so glorious. Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This authority comes from our sovereign ruler, from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one sending us, and he's the one who gives us the right to go wherever he sends us. We live under the reign of Christ. Maybe we don't think about that like we should. We live under the reign of Christ. He is our king. And that king will triumph and he will be completely victorious. Completely victorious. There won't be some hidden little kingdom out there somewhere opposing him. Every kingdom will fall before him. We see this in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. He will do that. Nothing, nothing can prevail against Christ's kingdom. Now, on the one hand, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I belong to the king. Okay. But isn't that kind of reassuring and exciting to know that we belong to the king and he cannot fail? This is part of what's behind the the statement that Jesus makes to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He's asked the the question, you know, who do people say? And Peter responds that you are the Christ, okay? And Jesus' response is, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's the rock? The rock is that Jesus is the Son of God. 
We see this also in Revelation 7.14. They, whoever, you know, nations, leaders, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So not only is he king of kings and lord of lords, but he brings us with him. Our king, the king we have chosen to serve, cannot be defeated. You're on the winning team. Woo-hoo. He will triumph. You know, in all of this, we should never lose sight of and we should never tire of of speaking about the other benefit of our king. And that benefit is that he's able to save from hell. He is able to deliver somebody from eternal death. Zechariah 9.9, this was a prophecy about this day of celebration. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophesied about Jesus coming. And what is it prophesying? That our king has salvation. Jesus came this First time that we see in history, gentle and lowly. He didn't come on a great white stallion with a sword. He came to save by dying on the cross. That means any day until he comes the second time is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Let's go back to Matthew 21 because there's some more of this story. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and we see all the, the hosannas and the coats and the, and the, the uh, palm fronds, the branches. But there's something else that happens on this day at the temple. 21.14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. These religious leaders just just couldn't handle it. I I want you to try to put yourself in that place. You're in the temple. And, And the temple would have been the most public place in Jerusalem at that time. That was the center of everything. So you were in the most public of all places, and Jesus is doing miracles. People are being healed. The blind see, the lame walk. He's in public, and he's openly demonstrating that he's the king of the universe. Jesus arrives on a donkey, lowly and gentle, and then he's in the temple. He's healing the blind and the lame. And, and this, shows, this shows he's the king of the universe, and, and it's amazing. He's got, 
he's the king over kings, yeah, okay, over nations. But he's also king over diseases and nature itself. That's our king. As his subjects, then, what does this do for us? This, this should take us to a place where we understand that as the subjects of this great king will be safe for all of eternity, whole and absolutely whole for all of eternity. When he comes back, we're going to be with him, and there isn't going to be any more of the, the death and sickness and, and pain and suffering because of our king. In that passage in Matthew, in verse 15, the chief priests become angry because of the response of the children in the temple. And you know, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, if you're, if you're in church and somebody's been lame their entire life and they walk, what would you do in church? Boy, they shouldn't have done that. That really raised a ruckus. These guys. And not only that, the children, they love it. Hosanna to the Son of God, the Son of David, they say. I get it right. What made the uh, religious leaders most angry? It's really, it's, really what the, it's really what the children were saying. They were just ignoring all the healing. It made the religious leaders angry. Because in saying he is the son of David, they're proclaiming him as God. They're saying he's the Messiah. Hated that. So they become angry at the response in the temple, and Jesus responds to them. And I love how he responds. Matthew 21, 16. First, they say, do you, do you hear what they're saying? Jesus do you hear what these kids are saying about you? Stop that. And Jesus says to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And it's important to realize that that's a quote. That's a quote from Psalm 8, where specifically in that psalm, the children are praising God. So in Jesus' response, he's looking at these religious leaders and he's saying, yeah, they got it right because they're calling me God. You missed it. Jesus came the first time as king. He's coming again as the king over all kings. He will be the king of Israel. He, he will be the, the, the king of all nations. He will be the king of nature. He'll be the king of the entire universe. And in reality, he is now. And until he comes that second time, our king is still riding a donkey, not a white war horse. He's riding that donkey because he's ready to save all who will receive him as Savior and King. If you're not with Christ today, now is the time for salvation. Come to the King. Know him. Receive him. Live your life in allegiance to the King of the universe. This should be the very air that we breathe Christ is triumphant over 
any king or leader or earthly country. And every event that develops today, anything that we see happening, anything we read about, is a step toward the incredible, marvelous, decisive triumph that's coming because he's in control. Every moment you are alive, every breath that you take takes you one instant closer to the return of our king. And he's in a coming glory. In Philippians 2, 9, Jesus is called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's other places. And, and what that means is that all other rulers will be conquered and he alone will reign supreme as king and Lord over all of creation, everything. He reigns. Our king's triumph is coming because he is risen from the dead. He's victorious. Especially when we think about the worldly system, because the ultimate weapon of earthly kings is death. If you don't submit to me, I'll just kill you. That weapon has lost its power. Earthly kings will be defeated. It is only a matter of time. And God controls that time. It's been set by God. By his sovereign wisdom. So the the call this morning, the, the, the motivation this morning, where we need to go with this is that we throw our lives down like those cloaks. We throw our life down in front of the king. Yield to him. Rejoice that you can be subject of the king of kings who loves you. He is the king of everything. And he loves you. In his total sovereignty, he humbly came to earth. He took on human form. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was falsely accused, falsely tried. The king of the universe suffered the pain, the terror and humility of being beaten, crucified, and then buried. And as king of the universe... He rose from the dead. And all of these things he did because he loves you. He loves me. He loves you. Let's yield to him. Father, thank you for the love you've shown us through your son. Father, thank you for revealing yourself through your word and through your son. I ask, Father God, that you would forgive us when we lose sight of the grandeur of what you have done. Holy Spirit, stir us up that we would remember Scripture, that we would remember what what Christ has done, and that we would remember the Word and look forward to the coming of our Savior and our King. I ask, Father God, that you would help us Strengthen us by the power of your word and by your Holy Spirit that we would be your ambassadors. And Father, we gloriously look forward to that day, the right day, the right time when our Lord and Savior, our King, returns to earth. 
Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.